Hey, doll. Hey, doll. I'm your host, Paula. And I'm your host, Cynthia. And we are Dolls Dolls and and Doom. Doom. We've had a lot of positive feedback from the Tina Watson case, and we wanted to re-release it for those of you who maybe haven't started Dolls and Doom at the beginning. Also, please keep in mind that the sound quality wasn't as good. We were not as tech savvy back then. That's right. I think this was like our fourth or fifth episode we ever released. Yeah. So we were still learning. But this is actually one of my top favorite episodes. I just am kind of obsessed with this case. You guys need to go check out the photos that are corresponding to this episode. They are so creepy. So creepy. They give me the heebie-jeebies. We hope you enjoy the re-release of The Mysterious Death of Tina Watson. Have you heard of her? I have not. Okay. Buckle up. (laughs) Christina Watson, who went by the name Tina, was born in West Germany on February 13th, 1977. Her family relocated to the United States while she was still just a baby. And in 1980, when she was about a month shy of three years old, she was legally adopted by Tommy and Cindy Thomas. They lived in Walker County, Alabama before moving Tina and her younger sister to Louisiana for a while, but they ended up moving back to the place that they really felt was home, Birmingham, Alabama. After graduating from high school, Tina went to college at the University of Alabama, which is where she met her future husband, Gabriel Watson, and Gabriel went by the name Gabe, that's what I'll call him, and she began dating Gabe in 2001. Now, Gabe really enjoyed scuba diving, and he considered himself to be quite good at it. Tina really enjoyed spending time with Gabe, so even though Tina had been diagnosed with a heart condition that caused her heart to beat at a faster than normal rate, and that can potentially cause some health concerns when diving, she did begin taking diving lessons and earned her certification just before her wedding to Gabe which was on October 11th, 2003. Yeah, I actually have a heart murmur, and that plus stress can make it just beat out of nowhere. I can be dead asleep, or I can be just sitting on the couch doing nothing, and just out of nowhere, it speeds up. So that can be really alarming. Oh, I bet. Yeah. So have you ever, like, would you be able to dive? Or, like, have they told you that you have to be careful doing certain things? Uh, They did tell me to be careful, Okay, but I don't think I'd want to go diving. I've been um, snorkeling, and that's that's enough for me. I don't have a desire to go deeper in the water. I feel (laughs) you. I don't blame you. Well, like I said, Gabe was much more into diving than Tina was, and he actually qualified as a certified rescue diver. He had completed 55 dives by the time he married Tina, However, his primary experience was actually with lake diving, which is very different than open ocean diving. Tina had only dove five times in her entire life, and she'd actually never dove in the open ocean. And despite Tina's lack of experience, their honeymoon was to be spent scuba diving the Great Barrier Reef after first spending a week in Sydney. They had plans to dive a very popular, yet quite difficult shipwreck. It was the wreck of the SS Yangala, which was a passenger ship that sank in 1911. Just thinking about swimming above or around a shipwreck gives me the heebie-jeebies. I have this strange phobia of things submerged underwater, like things that shouldn't be there, 
like cars or statues or boats. So even though the thought of scuba diving does intrigue me, the thought of diving a shipwreck, oh, I am literally covered in chill bumps right now just oh, thinking about it. I agree. I feel you. I mean, the creatures down there don't walk around among us, so I feel like we don't need to be down there you know, invading their space. <laughs> well, but this was Gabe and Tina's honeymoon, not ours. And this is what they decided to do. But it really was quite a lofty goal. Lake diving and ocean diving are very different. They have different tides and currents, different depths. And even the underwater animal and plant life are really different. And with Tina never having dove in the ocean before, and actually never having dove in any water deeper than nine meters, this was literally over their heads. Now the dive company did offer an orientation and guided dive with a dive master. And when she first registered, Tina said that she would like to participate in that. But Gabe really did not feel this was necessary given his experience. So when she was later asked if she would like this assistance, and she just happened to be standing next to Gabe at the time that they asked her, she declined. Apparently, the dive company's policy is to ask each individual diver if they would like the orientation or guided dive in private so that they didn't feel any peer pressure from their dive buddies or partners. But in this scenario, the dive instructor spoke to Tina about this in front of Gabe and then took Gabe's word that he was in fact experienced enough to be able to perform a rescue in the event one became necessary. So on October 22nd, 11 days after their wedding, at around 10.30 a.m., Gabe and Tina were diving off of the dive tour boat, the Spoil Sport, when 26-year-old Tina lost consciousness and sank to the bottom of the ocean, which at that particular spot was about 30 meters or 98 feet deep. She'd only been in the water for two minutes. Gabe then swam to the surface, got the attention of the dive master Wade Singleton, who immediately dove to the bottom of the ocean to rescue Tina. Wade then brought her on board the excursion's sister boat, the Jazz 2, where a doctor attempted to resuscitate her. By the time she was brought to the surface, Tina had been underwater for 10 minutes. After 40 minutes of life-saving attempts, Tina was pronounced dead. During this entire time, Gabe never did join his wife on the Jolly 2, but instead, he remained on the spoil sport. Okay, so this seems a little strange to me. Your wife is on one boat and people are trying to revive her and you get on a completely different boat. Now, obviously not being there, we don't know exactly how this happened, but it does seem strange to me that he wasn't with Tina after she was taken out of the water. Oh, strongly agree. If it was me and my boyfriend, I would be knocking people down to get to him. Right, that seems like what I would be doing. Now. To be the devil's advocate, I will say this. I'm one of those people where if I'm in the middle of a medical emergency, especially with someone I love or care about, I almost can't handle it. So I can see myself being the type of person who would walk away, maybe like go pace the boat, do something with that nervous energy because just standing there and watching and being helpless would just be too much for me. 
but I don't think I'd be on a completely different boat. I wouldn't like just remove myself. I would just be a nervous wreck. But I do want to throw it out there that we know everyone deals with things differently. And you know, maybe Gabe is a little more like me in that in an emergency situation, he just becomes a little bit useless. And maybe that's why he stayed away. However, according to the other passengers on the spoil sport, Gabe's strange behavior went beyond just staying away from his wife. In fact, he was almost a little too casual. According to witnesses, he actually spent the time that his wife was being worked on chatting with the crew. They said he went to one of the cabins for a little while, and then he walked around the boat asking the women on board for hugs. They said he was telling passengers that maybe his wife just had a headache and it wasn't until he was notified that she didn't make it that he expressed any grief when he collapsed. Now, after they returned to shore, everyone on board was interviewed and during his initial statement, Gabe said that the currents were much stronger than he'd expected and that he had seen Tina signal that she wanted to return to the dive rope. And while she was trying to communicate this to him, he said that he noticed that she'd had a strange look of worry or concern on her face. He said he tried helping her to the dive rope, but somehow in the middle of all the chaos, Gabe said that Tina accidentally knocked his mask and air regulator loose. So according to Gabe, he took a moment to fix his mask and regulator. And when he was able to see again, he saw that Tina was sinking quickly with her arms outstretched as if she was trying to reach out to him and that she was moving way too fast for him to be able to go help her and pull her to safety. So he decided instead to return to the surface to get help. He also said that he had an ear problem that prevented him from diving deep enough to help her and that he had not learned in all of his training as a rescue diver about, quote, how to get somebody in trouble to the surface. Investigators didn't think this made much sense. In fact, I've read a lot of statements from divers from all around the world, and everyone I've read says that bringing a person in need to the surface is actually the first thing you learn as a rescue diver. It's the entire point of being a rescue diver. So this definitely raised some red flags. Gabe was interviewed several more times and each time he would tell a different version of what happened that day. Some of Gabe's conflicting statements were that on his way to the surface while his wife was sinking to the bottom, he grabbed and actually shook other nearby divers to get their help. But then in another interview, he would say there was no one around. And in yet another interview, he said that while Tina was signaling that she needed help, he could feel eyes boring into him and he felt like he was being watched by other divers. Okay, if you ask me, a changing story is definitely a red flag. Definitely not a good sign. No. In his initial interview, he said that Tina had a panicked look on her face but in another interview, he said that there was never any indication from her that she was needing air. Gabe said that as his wife started sinking, he took off like a rocket and that he had never swam so fast in his life. But according to his dive computer, he took nearly three minutes to rise from 15 meters, which apparently is not fast at all. 
it's actually the pace of a novice. In one interview, he said that ear pain stopped him from attempting to rescue Tina, and in another, he didn't mention the ear pain at all, but instead said that in the moment, he just didn't know what to do, and he made a split-second decision to surface for help. The day after her death, an autopsy was performed on Tina. Forensic pathologist Professor David Williams found florid evidence of air embolism, but no degenerative disease that would have led to her untimely death. He ruled the cause of death as drowning. Now remember I told you his dive computer showed that he didn't move very fast? A lot of what Gabe said happened underwater did not match up with the actions recorded by his dive computer. So this, along with his strange behavior and conflicting statements, led there to be a formal inquiry in Australia. After reviewing the statements and all of the evidence, prosecutors suggested that Gabe had turned off Tina's regulator and held her until she was unconscious, then turned the air back on and let her sink to the bottom of the ocean before he then surfaced for help. This accusation was corroborated by one of the fellow divers, Dr. Stanley Stutz, who said that he saw Watson holding on to Tina as if he was giving her a bear hug and that Tina was, quote, flailing, end quote, after which Gabe headed to the surface while Tina fell to the ocean floor. Now, I'm not a diver, but I do know enough about it to know that a human body has to be weighted down in order to sink. So weight belts are actually used when diving to help a diver be able to get deep enough to say, see the shipwreck in this particular case. Well, Tina would have only needed about eight pounds of weight to help get her where she needed to be. But I heard it reported that she was actually wearing 20 pounds of weight, which was entirely too much. Allegedly, Wade, the dive master who brought her to the surface, had to drop her weights to even be able to bring her back to the top. So who was in charge of making sure Tina had the proper weights? Well, that would be Gabe. Now Gabe made himself look even more suspicious when during Tina's funeral, Tina's best friend Amanda went to go look at her in her casket and she said that Gabe walked up with her and when they got to the casket, Gabe said to Amanda, quote, at least her breasts are perky, end quote. What? Right? Oh my God, that's inappropriate. So bizarre. Immediately after Tina's funeral, Gabe had close friends and family over to his home and he was showing photos and videos of Tina from their trip. And Amanda was shocked because Gabe starts showing photos he had taken of Tina just days before she died posing next to a caution drowning sign. Oh my God. Amanda said that he probably showed other photos from the trip, but she was so blown away by just the insensitivity of these particular photos that they were the only ones she remembers actually seeing. Right, of course. Well, Tina's own father claimed that shortly before their marriage, Tina had come to him and asked that he increase her life insurance. Apparently her father was the person who handled these kinds of matters for her. So she went to him and she asked that he make Gabe the sole beneficiary. Now, when he asked why she wanted to do this, 
Tina revealed that Gabe had asked her to. Tina's family was also really disturbed, to say the least, to find out that Gabe had not been with Tina when she died. He was actually on a completely different boat, and he had originally told them he was with her when she passed. I'd like to point out that increasing the life insurance policy is another huge red flag. Sure, sure. Big motive. Yeah. A couple of weeks after Tina's death, one of the other divers on the excursion that day, a man named Gary Stimpler, took his vacation film to be developed. For those of you out there who are too young to have ever had to do this, it really wasn't that long ago that the average person didn't own a digital camera. We all used film and we had to take our film to a Photoshop where they would actually develop the photos and then print them out for us. And when you picked up your photos, that would actually be the first time you were ever able to look at them. Well, when he got his photos back, Gary and his wife start looking through them, remembering their vacation, and when they got to the dive photos, they were probably reliving their traumatic experience that day. But then they came to one haunting photo. Paula, just looking at this sends shivers down my spine. In this photo, Gary's wife is front and center, and she looks like she's posing for the picture. And at first, that's all you see. It's just her and then a bunch of blue and maybe a few specks here and there, but it's mainly blue. But then you see it in the murky background, laying on the ocean floor is a figure. It's Tina with her arms outstretched and then swimming right behind Gary's wife. You can really only see half of him as he's, you know, blocked by Gary's wife, but you can see a rescue diver headed straight for Tina. Okay, wait a minute. Why are they taking photos? Shouldn't they be looking for Tina? Well, I don't think everybody knew what was going on. So Tina starts to sink. Gabe doesn't know what to do. He goes straight up to the surface, gets the dive master, says, hey, we have a problem down here. And, you know, in this photo, you can see he's just like going straight for Tina. So I don't think everybody around really knew. I mean, obviously, because he had no idea that she was in this photo. Oh, okay. So it's just one of those things. This was before anybody really knew what was going on. Gotcha. And it was just ironic that they, they captured this. Ugh. Horrifying. Right. Now, when we look at this photo, we know that at this point, Tina had been underwater for close to 10 minutes and that she's probably deceased. As, you know, it's only a couple of minutes before she would have been brought to the surface. And it's just, it's so chilling. I feel so sorry for her family you know, who if they ever looked at this photo, they must feel so helpless just seeing her like that, you know, knowing she's never going to come back from it. So, oh, it's just, it's really chilling. Now, Tina died in October and that December, Gabe sent out Christmas cards that showed a photo of him and Tina on their wedding day. And the caption said, who's that good looking guy with Tina? Oh, that's me. Now, this was, again, very off-putting to a lot of people. And when Gabe was later asked about it, he said it was an inside joke from his wedding when a wedding guest had asked who the good-looking guy was and it turned out to be Gabe. So, you know, these odd behaviors, they don't make him a murderer. But he definitely has a strange sense of humor at the very least. Between the gross comments at her funeral 
and then photos of her next to the caution sign and now Christmas cards talking about what a good looking guy he is less than two months after his wife passed. It's all just very strange. I would say strange and suspicious. (laughs) That too. Well, in March 2005, Gabe actually filed a lawsuit in Alabama's Jefferson County Circuit Court in an effort to recoup the cost of the couple's trip after the travel insurance refused to pay out. He was seeking $45,000 for the accidental death, plus compensation for trip interruption, medical expenses, phone calls, taxi fares, fees for extra credit card statements, and punitive damages for mental and emotional anguish. This action was dismissed in May by Gabe's own request as he decided that he risked self-incrimination by continuing to pursue the case. Well, prosecutors in Australia were not buying Gabe's version of events and they ended up pressing charges against him. He resisted extradition for six months, but then traveled voluntarily from the US to Australia in May 2009 to face trial. He pled not guilty to murder, but he did plead guilty to manslaughter, which meant he pretty much just admitted to being a really bad dive buddy. Now, prosecutors pointed out that over the course of his police interviews, Watson had given 16 different versions of what had happened to Tina, but none of them matched the other divers' accounts of what they saw. When Tina was brought to the surface, her regulator was still in her mouth, Her tank still had air, and tests indicated that all of her equipment was working properly, so there was no technical reason that she should have drowned. The prosecutors pointed out that Gabe was an experienced diver, trained in rescues, and yet he had allowed his wife to sink to the bottom of the ocean floor without making even the first attempt to retrieve her. He did not inflate her buoyancy control device or remove her weight belt. He had not even followed the obligations of a standard dive buddy, which would have been to share his alternative air source with her if necessary. Gabe was sentenced to four and a half years in prison in Australia, but it was suspended after he served 12 months. Many people felt that this sentence was far too lenient and it was appealed, earning him an additional six months. So he served 18 months in Australia prison and was released on November 10th, 2010. Natina's family was very unsatisfied with this short prison term, saying it was an embarrassment to Australia. I don't blame them. It's always hard when, really, how can you ever get justice? You know, if you believe somebody killed your loved one, I don't care what happens to the, the person who did it. It's never really justice. Right. Nothing ever really fixes it. Right. After his release, he was reported to Alabama on the condition that he would not be sentenced to death if found guilty of Tina's murder here in the States. So he comes home, charges are filed in Alabama, only this time, Colin McKenzie, a key diving expert in the original investigation, who had maintained that, quote, a diver with Watson's training should have been able to bring Tina up, end quote, later retracted much of his testimony after he was provided with both Tina and Gabe's diver logs and medical histories, which he had not been given access to originally. After being given this information, McKenzie claimed that Gabe should have never been allowed to be Tina's dive buddy as she had no open water experience. Tina had had heart surgery two years prior to this dive, but when she filled out her dive application, she stated no history of heart issues or surgeries. 
Another expert, Professor Mike Bennett, who was a leading expert in dive medicine, said that Tina should never have been diving without first receiving clearance from her cardiologist. And this rescue certification that Gabe had received, well, that's normally only a four-day course. But Gabe had received it in two days and had zero rescue experience. According to McKinsey, Gabe had absolutely no hope of being competent in that situation and could have barely saved himself that day, let alone his wife. He said, I don't believe he intended to kill her. However, they did say that he showed a complete lack of courage when he abandoned his wife. According to eyewitnesses on the boat the day of the drowning, Gabe needed help just getting his own diving equipment on, which is a pretty clear indication that someone is an amateur. Now, while Gabe was dealing with all of these charges in Australia and then serving his sentence, Tina's body was released to her family and they had her buried in her hometown of Pelham, Alabama. They would go and visit her grave and leave trinkets and flower arrangements, but they would notice that the next time they came to visit, the flowers would be gone and the little angel figurines that her mother left would be missing. In the meantime, Gabe decided he didn't want Tina to be buried in this cemetery at all. He wanted her closer to him. So in 2007, he actually had her body exhumed and moved to a gravesite of his choice. But then he left the grave unmarked. No headstone, no marker of any kind, just an unmarked grave. So obviously Tina's family was super upset about Tina being moved, but they did end up finding out where she was buried and they start visiting her new grave. And of course they bring flowers and gifts, but once again, every time they go back to visit, the items that they had left would be missing. So they go as far as to start chaining the items down and when they would come back, the chains would be cut, and again, the flowers and gifts would be gone. Tina's family ends up filing a complaint with the police, who ultimately put surveillance cameras up, and guess who those cameras captured? I'm gonna guess Gabe. It was Gabe. Gabe was on camera, removing the chains with bolt cutters, and then throwing the items in trash cans. When he was asked why he did this, he said it was because the arrangements left were, quote, big, gaudy plastic arrangements, end quote, and Tina didn't like plastic flowers. So I gave this some thought. What would I do if I knew somebody left something my partner didn't like on their grave? And I decided I would just leave it. It may not be my style, or in this case, Tina's style, but her family obviously meant well. It was something that was important to them. And if it really bothered him that much, he could have just had one of those, you know, little graveside conversations that many people have where he says, you know, sorry for the fake flowers, babe. Your family left them and I'm not going to move something your family left. And, you know, let it be a little inside joke between the two of them, you know? Oh, I agree. I feel like it was in more poor taste to keep removing them and especially moving her from the original gravesite to his own choice. I just feel like that was way tackier than anything that they left. Pretty heartless. Yes. And then I also have a hard time believing he was that concerned about her grave when he left it unmarked for three years. That's way too long. In 2008, Gabe remarried. 
He married a seventh grade teacher named Kim, and in 2011, Gabe was removed as administrator of Tina's estate and her father was appointed. As administrator, Tina's father asked for her college pictures and the school yearbooks be returned to the family, but Gabe actually appealed this and he refused to provide inventory of Tina's possessions. Gabe was also ordered to stay away from Tina's grave pending his trial results. Well, on February 23rd, 2012, Alabama judge Tommy Nail dismissed the murder charge due to lack of evidence. So what's your gut tell you, Paula? That he's guilty. You think? Yes, I really do. I don't know how I feel. When I first heard about this case, I thought, oh, he's definitely guilty. But then when you take into consideration that he really wasn't as experienced as he made himself out to be, you know, I think I can see how that situation would be very overwhelming. You know, it's diving is dangerous. So if you don't, and especially, you know, that was a big dive, I guess. And so I can see how someone could find themselves in trouble and maybe not be able to help. But it's all this stuff after the fact. Right. And it's one thing to boost yourself up and say, yeah, I've got all this great experience. If you're just going by yourself, but if you're going with a spouse who, you know, has a heart condition and a couple surgeries, then maybe say, you know what? I'm not as experienced or yes, she does want want a dive buddy to come with us. Yeah, for sure. He definitely seems like, like a ego driven man. Yeah. Look at me. Yeah. You know, major had to hold the power and then very, very, very bizarre sense of humor. Mm -hmm. Very strange. But, you know, everybody's different. You know, maybe that was how he coped. Saying the weird things at the funeral and showing the, you know, like, you know, some people deal with things with humor. I tend to be slightly like that. You know, maybe make a a joke that's really not that funny, but it's just my way of dealing with it. I know that's a possibility. And it's not like he said it to, like, one of his buddies. He said it to one of Tina's friends. Right. That makes it so much worse. A female. A woman. Yeah. Yeah. Don't say that to a woman in the first place. Right. You don't want to hear that. No matter where you are. Right. (laughs) Let alone at your best friend's funeral, you know, or at your wife's funeral to her best friend. Yeah, I don't know. I'm not completely convinced he is, but I'm not convinced he isn't. So... That's the story of Tina Watson. It's very tragic. It is very Yeah, she was so young, only 26. So what do you think of when you hear Black Friday? I think of Thanksgiving leftovers, but I don't think I'm the the normal (laughs) person. Uh, Shopping? I think of chaos and overcrowded shopping. I remember walking through this crowded outlet mall at 2 a.m. and seeing women pushing their babies in strollers while their husbands piled suitcases full of their purchases behind them. Oh my gosh. Yeah, I was trying really hard not to judge them, but I do remember thinking, I can't believe someone would have their infant out at 2 a.m. in the middle of all this madness. No way. Yeah, and to be honest, I didn't think the discounts were worth a headache, so needless to say, I'm not a Black Friday shopper. Me neither. Yeah, no thanks. If I can't do it online, forget it. Yeah, seriously. I'd rather pay a little extra and not have to stand in line and deal with all those people. Oh, I feel ya. <laughs> I'm right there with you, girl. In 2018, 84.2 million people went in-store shopping on Black Friday. Oh my gosh. But with competitive prices and limited stock, Black Friday shopping can get pretty intense and in many cases, violent. First of all, assault and battery runs rampant. In fact, did you know that it's possible that you could accidentally commit one of these crimes while shopping in a crowded, chaotic store? What? Yeah. For example, 
If you are rushing to grab the last TV that's on sale and you run into someone else, accidentally pushing them down, you have just accidentally committed battery according to an all pro bail bonds website. Wow. If instead you threaten to knock someone down, you have committed assault. Oh gosh. Yeah. <laughs> so just watch where you're going and keep your mouth shut. Okay. <laughs> Those are my tips. Notes taken. So depending on where you live could put you in a higher risk for being the victim of Black Friday violence. Oh. According to reviews.org, the top five most dangerous states of Black Friday shopping are number five, Alabama, hmm. number four, North Carolina, number three, West Virginia, number two, Tennessee, and number one, Arkansas. It's all like Southern state. Yeah, isn't that surprising? I thought we were supposed to be like friendly down here. And it just, in my opinion, that the bigger cities like New York and Chicago, they're yeah. just normally fast paced. I would think that they would be more, apt to be more chaotic. Me too. That's surprising. I, I, at least Florida's not on the list though. <laughs> right. <laughs> Which is also surprising. <laughs> Very. <laughs> One of the Black Friday tragedies is the story of Walter Vance, a 61-year-old pharmacist who was shopping at a West Virginia Target when he suddenly collapsed from a heart condition. Okay, that could happen to anyone. But the kicker is, while he was laying on the ground in the middle of Target, no one stopped to help him. <gasps> oh my god! Isn't that sad? That's horrible. Everyone just kept shopping, too focused on their next purchase to be bothered to help Walter. Finally, someone called for an ambulance, and he was taken to the hospital, where he later died. That is so sad. I know. What is wrong with people? People suck. In 2005, a 73-year-old woman was shopping with her daughter when she was knocked down at a Florida Brand Smart store. When she was on the floor, customers kept stepping over her and even her daughter could not help her get up <gasps> due to the amount of people literally trampling on the woman. She was later treated and thankfully recovered. Oh my goodness. What is wrong with people? <laughs> I know. This is gonna... why I'm staying home. Yeah, this is why I stay home all the time anyway. <laughs> COVID or not. Yeah. So in 2008, an eight-month pregnant woman was shopping in the same Walmart where an employee had been killed earlier that year when a group of people knocked the store's door off its hinges, causing her to miscarry. <gasps> eight months pregnant. That's awful. Why are you bringing me down, Paula? I'm sorry. It's just Friday correlation. They need to know. In 2013, an 11-year-old girl was trampled at the new Boston Walmart. Her injuries required hospitalization. Also in 2013, a 48-year-old man was driving his family home after spending all night shopping with his wife and four daughters. But his four daughters were squeezed in and two of the girls were not wearing seatbelts. The father was so tired after only getting three hours of sleep that he crashed the car and the two girls not wearing seatbelts were killed. He was charged with misdemeanor vehicular manslaughter charges. The moral of these stories is please be careful and remember nothing is worth your life or the life and safety of your loved ones. There is nothing wrong with going out on Black Friday to snag a good deal. Just please be careful and some of these people are crazy. Uh, yeah. I'm not going out today. Me either. I'm locked in my house. Me too. You want to play a little game so we can end on a, a happier note than that? Yes, please. Okay. <laughs> How about, let's see, two truths, one lie, phobia edition, where we talk about our phobias. Okay, you go first. Okay, so number one, I have a phobia of roaches. Number two, I am claustrophobic. And number three, 
I have a phobia of lightning. Which one's the lie? I'm going to say roaches. That is the lie. I have no problem with roaches. Okay. Whatsoever. But I am incredibly claustrophobic, like severely, severely, severely. I had to have an MRI once and even like the sedation wasn't enough. It was like really, really bad. And uh, lightning. I'm terrified of lightning and I live in Florida, so that does not go hand in hand. But give me a roach and I... I'll put it in my hand and you're let all, it go outside. You're all good. See, I'm not afraid of roaches either, but I definitely don't want to touch them. Like, if it's crawling in my house, it's got to die. Oh, really? I don't <laughs> care what it is. It's got to go. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, no. I'll take everything outside. I kill nothing. Well, actually, that's not true. I do save lizards, but that's it. Okay, except I'm not going to kill a lizard, but I actually do have a phobia of lizards. If a lizard gets in my house, somebody better get that thing out. Peacefully and gently, but get it out, and I'm not getting near it. We could be roommates. Yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll save the lizards and you can save everything else. Deal. <laughs> All right, your turn. What are your two truths, one lie? Okay, so number one, I'm claustrophobic. Number two, I'm afraid of spiders. Okay. And number three, I'm afraid of clowns. Hmm. Seeing as though you love Halloween and all things creepy, and clowns can easily fall into that category, I'm going to say you're not afraid of clowns. That's correct. Oh, okay. We have a mutual friend who is terrified of clowns. Terrified. Terrified. I used to share an office with her when we all worked together, and uh, guess what I used to do? <laughs> Torture her with clowns. <laughs> I did. <laughs> okay, so you are then claustrophobic. No, that's the lie. I thought clowns was the lie. No, wait. <laughs> oh, wait. I need... <laughs> okay. Ballad. <laughs> And that, folks, is Dolls and Doom. Oh, <laughs> uh, we're just being silly. We just want to thank you so much for tuning in. Follow us on Instagram and Facebook where we upload the photos that correspond with our cases each week. Like and subscribe. Rate us. Review us on your favorite podcast platforms. It really helps us out. We want to get the word out that we exist. Yeah. I'm your host, Cynthia. I'm your host, Paula. And we are Dolls Dolls and Doom. Doom. Bye. Bye.